Section 7 of The Red Laugh by Leonid Andreev. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Part 2, Fragments 13 through 15. Universal mob fights, senseless and sanguinary. The slightest provocation gives rise to the most savage club law. Knives, stones, logs of wood coming into action. And it is all the same who is being killed. Red blood asks to be let loose, and flows willingly and plentifully. There were six of them, all peasants, and they were being led by three soldiers with loaded guns, in their quaint peasant's dress, simple and primitive like a savage's, with their quaint countenances that seemed as if made of clay and adorned with felted wool instead of hair, in the streets of a rich town under the escort of disciplined soldiers. They resembled slaves of the antique world. They were being led off to the war, and they moved along in obedience to the bayonets as innocent and dull as cattle led to the slaughterhouse. In front walked a youth, tall, beardless, with a long gooseneck at the end of which was a motionless little head. His whole body was bent forward like a switch, and he stared at the ground under his feet so fixedly as if his gaze penetrated into the very depths of the earth. The last in the group was a man of small stature, bearded and middle-aged. He had no desire of resistance, and there was no thought in his eyes. But the earth attracted his feet, gripped them tightly, not letting them loose, and he advanced with his body thrown back as if struggling against a strong wind, and at each step the soldier gave him a push with the butt-end of his rifle, and one leg, tearing itself from the earth, convulsively thrust itself forward, all the others still stuck tightly. The faces of the soldiers were wary and angry, and evidently they had been marching so for a long time. One felt they were tired and indifferent as to how they carried their guns and how they marched, keeping no step with their feet turned in like weary countrymen. The senseless, lingering, and silent resistance of the peasants seemed to have dimmed their disciplined brains, and they had ceased to understand where they were going and what their goal was. "'Where are you leading them to?' I asked one of the soldiers. He started, glanced at me, and in the keen flash of his eyes I felt the bayonet as distinctly as if it were already at my breast. "'Go away,' said the soldier. "'Go away or else!' The middle-aged man took advantage of the moment and ran away. He ran with a light trot up to the iron railings of the boulevard and sat down on his heels as if he were hiding. No animal would have acted so stupidly, so senselessly. But the soldier became savage. I saw him go close up to him, stoop down, and, thrusting his gun into the left hand, strike something soft and flat with the right one. And then again, a crowd was gathering. Laughter and shouts were heard. Fragment 14 In the eleventh row of stalls, somebody's arms were pressing closely against me on my right and left-hand side, while far around me in the semi-darkness stuck out motionless heads tinged with red from the lights upon the stage. And gradually the mass of people, confined in that narrow place, filled me with horror. Everybody was silent listening to what was being said on the stage, or, perhaps, thinking out his own thoughts. But as they were many, they were more audible, for all their silence, 
than the loud voices of the actors. They were coughing, blowing their noses, making a noise with their feet and clothes, and I could distinctly hear their deep, uneven breathing that was heating the air. They were terrible, for each of them could become a corpse, and they all had senseless brains. In the calmness of those well-brushed heads, resting upon white, stiff collars, I felt a hurricane of madness ready to burst every second. My hands grew cold as I thought how many and how terrible they were, and how far away I was from the entrance. They were calm, but what if I were to cry out, FIRE! And full of terror I experienced a painfully passionate desire, of which I cannot think without my hands growing cold and moist. Who could hinder me from crying out? Yes, standing up, turning round and crying out, FIRE! SAVE YOURSELVES! FIRE! A convulsive wave of madness would overwhelm their still limbs. They would jump up, yelling and howling like animals. They would forget that they had wives, sisters, mothers, and would begin casting themselves about like men stricken with sudden blindness, in their madness throttling each other with their white fingers fragrant with scent. The lights would be turned on, and somebody with an ashen face would appear upon the stage, shouting that all was in order and that there was no fire, and the music, trembling and halting, would begin playing something wildly merry. But they would be deaf to everything. They would be throttling, tramping, and beating the heads of the women, demolishing their ingenious, cunning headdresses. They would tear at each other's ears, bite off each other's noses, and tear the very clothes off each other's bodies, feeling no shame, for they would be mad. Their sensitive, delicate, beautiful, adorable women would scream and writhe helplessly at their feet, clasping their knees, still believing in their generosity, while they would beat them viciously upon their beautiful, upturned faces, trying to force their way towards the entrance. For men are always murderers, and their calmness and generosity is the calmness of a well-fed animal that knows itself out of danger. And when having made corpses of half their number, they would gather at the entrance in a trembling, tattered group of shame-faced animals, with a false smile upon their lips, I would go on the stage and say with a laugh, It has all happened because you killed my brother. Yes, I would say with a laugh, it has all happened because you killed my brother. I must have whispered something aloud, for my neighbor on the right-hand side moved angrily in his chair and said, Hush, you are interrupting. I felt merry and wanted to play a joke. Assuming a warning, severe expression, I stooped towards him. What is it? he asked suspiciously. Why do you look at me so? Hush, I implore you, whispered I with my lips. Do you not perceive a smell of burning? There is a fire in the theater. He had enough power of will and good sense not to cry out. His face grew pale, his eyes starting out of their sockets and almost protruding over his cheeks, enormous as bladders. But he did not cry out. He rose quietly and, without even thanking me, walked totteringly towards the entrance, convulsively keeping back his steps. He was afraid of the others guessing about the fire and preventing him getting away. Him, the only one worthy of being saved. I felt disgusted and left the theater also. 
Besides, I did not want to make known my incognito too soon. In the street, I looked towards that part of the sky where the war was raging. Everything was calm, and the night clouds, yellow from the lights of the town, were slowly and calmly drifting past. Perhaps it is only a dream, and there is no war, thought I, deceived by the stillness of the sky and town. But a boy sprang out from behind a corner, crying joyously. A terrible battle! Enormous losses! Buy list of telegrams! Night telegrams! I read it by the light of the street lamp. Four thousand dead. In the theater, I should say. There were not more than one thousand. And the whole way home I kept repeating, Four thousand dead. Now I'm afraid of returning to my empty house. When I put my key into the lock and look at the dumb, flat door, I can feel all its dark, empty rooms behind it, which... However, the next minute, a man in a hat would pass through, looking furtively around him. I know the way well. But on the stairs, I begin lighting match after match until I find a candle. I never enter my brother's study, and it is locked with all that it contains. And I sleep in the dining room, whither I have shifted altogether. There I feel calmer, for the air seems to have still retained the traces of talking and laughter and the merry clang of dishes. Sometimes I distinctly hear the scraping of a dry pin. And when I lay down on my bed... Fragment 15 That absurd and terrible dream. It seemed as if the skull had been taken off my brain and bared and unprotected. It submissively and greedily imbibed all the horrors of those bloody and senseless days. I was lying curled up, occupying only five feet of space, while my thought embraced the whole world. I saw with the eyes of all mankind and listened with its ears. I died with the killed, sorrowed and wept with all that were wounded and left behind. And when blood flowed out of anybody's body, I felt the pain of the wound and suffered. Even all that had not happened and was far away. I saw as clearly as if it had happened and was close by, and there was no end to the sufferings of my bared brain. Those children, those innocent little children. I saw them in the street playing at war and chasing each other, and one of them was already crying in a high-pitched, childish voice, and something shrank within me from horror and disgust, and I went home. Night came on. And in fiery dreams resembling midnight conflagrations, those innocent little children changed into a band of child murderers. Something was ominously burning in a broad red glare, and in the smoke there swarmed monstrous, misshapen children with heads of grown-up murderers. They were jumping lightly and nimbly like young goats at play and were breathing with difficulty like sick people. Their mouths resembling the jaws of toads or frogs, opened widely and convulsively. Behind the transparent skin of their naked bodies, the red blood was coursing angrily. And they were killing each other at play. They were the most terrible of all that I had seen, for they were little and could penetrate everywhere. I was looking out of the window, and one of the little ones noticed me, smiled, and with his eyes asked me to let him in. "'I want to go to you,' he said." You will kill me. I want to go to you, he said, growing suddenly pale. 
and began scrambling up the white wall like a rat. Just like a hungry rat. He kept losing his footing, and squealed and darted about the wall with such rapidity that I could not follow his impetuous sudden movements. He can crawl in under the door, said I to myself with horror. And as if he had guessed my thought, he grew thin and long, and waving the end of his tail rapidly, he crawled into the dark crack under the front door. But I had time to hide myself under the blanket, and heard him searching for me in the dark rooms, cautiously, stepping along with his tiny bare feet. He approached my room very slowly, stopping now and then, and at last entered it. But I did not hear any sound, either rustle or movement, for a long time, as if there was nobody near my bed. And then somebody's little hand began lifting up the edge of the coverlet, and I could feel the cold air of the room upon my face and chest. I held the blanket tightly, but it persisted in lifting itself up on all sides, and all of a sudden my feet became so cold, as if I had dipped them into water. Now they were lying unprotected in the chill darkness of the room, and he was looking at them. In the yard behind the house, a dog barked and was silent, and I heard the trail of its chain as it went into its kennel, but he still watched my naked feet and kept silence. I knew he was there, by the unendurable horror that was binding me like death with a stony, sepulchral immobility. If I could have cried out, I would have awakened the whole town, the whole world. But my voice was dead within me, and I lay submissive and motionless, feeling the little cold hands moving over my body and nearing my throat. I cannot, I groaned, gasping, and waking up for an instant, I saw the vigilant darkness of the night, mysterious and living, and again I believe I fell asleep. Don't fear, said my brother, sitting down upon my bed, and the bed creaked, so heavy he was dead. Never fear. You see, it is a dream. You only imagine that you are being strangled while in reality you are asleep in the dark rooms, where there is not a soul and I am in my study writing. Nobody understood what I wrote about, and you derided me as one insane. But now I will tell you the truth. I am writing about the red laugh. Do you see it? Something enormous, red and bloody, was standing before me, laughing a toothless laugh. That is the red laugh. When the earth goes mad, it begins to laugh like that. You know, the earth has gone mad. There are no more flowers or songs on it. It has become round, smooth, and red like a scalped head. Do you see it? Yes, I see it. It is laughing. Look what its brain is like. It is red like bloody porridge and is muddled. It is crying out. It is in pain. It has no flowers or songs. And now, let me lie down upon you. You are heavy and I am afraid. We, the dead, lie down on the living. Do you feel warm? Yes. Are you comfortable? I am dying. Awake and cry out. Awake and cry out. I am going away. End of section 7